Welcome to week two. Welcome to week two. I tell you, I, I, it's, a, it's an honor and a blessing and a privilege to be up here every week, but I am uh, certainly excited about this sermon and this series. Uh, once again, as if you were here last week, we called it, It's Spiritual Warfare. And fortunately, we're talking about tools for spiritual warfare. If you missed last week's message, you want to open up your Bible if you've got it handy there with you. Uh, we're, we, we talked through Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. This was last week in part one of this series. It was called, We're Fighting a Battle. And just to bring everyone up to speed, if you weren't here last week in part one, we talked about how the day in, day out, daily grind of our life, it's not easy, is it? It's not easy. It feels like a fight. And we talked about this. We talked through some examples of this. And we talked that it should feel like a fight because it is a fight. It is a fight. We mentioned that Paul wrote to the church here in Ephesians and said, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might to put on the whole armor of God. And Paul goes on in Ephesians 6, verse 12, to explain why it is imperative, why Christians should put on the whole armor of God daily, daily, as we go into spiritual warfare, which is inevitable. Why? The question is why. And the answer is, no matter how much the devil wants to convince us every day, every week, that our fight is physical, that we're at battle with our circumstances, with what's going on in our lives. This battle we're in, it's not about our physical circumstances. This is a fight for our souls. It's a fight for our souls. But the good news is, as we said, Jesus already had the victory on the cross for our souls. Amen? Jesus had the victory already. It's up to us to claim, hang on to that victory, even though the devil is attempting to knock us down to the ground on the battlefield. We left off last week's message with one question remaining. Paul says when we wear the whole armor of God in verse 11, we will then, quote, be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Well, where is this whole armor of God? How, how can I get a hold of one, right? Inquiring minds would like to know. How do we use this whole armor of God? What does this armor look like? And to quote Don Adams, does it come in navy blue? Maybe we can skip that one. But. Turn with me in the text, Ephesians 6. We're going to jump right into verses 13 to 18. We're going to jump into part 2 of this series on spiritual warfare called Tools and Training. Paul continues. He goes on and he describes this. Follow along with me, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. And then he goes on, verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. 
and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, he says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making uh, a supplication for all the saints. And we'll stop there. Paul goes on in verses 19 and 20 of the text to ask that the church continue in prayer for him and his ministry in prison as well. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul has gone into quite some detail here, right? As to what tools the Christian needs to stand up to the devil's schemes. And let's, let's talk through them individually this morning. We'll go through these one at a time. The whole armor of God consists of six, count them, six tools for spiritual warfare. And to hold our own in battle, Christians need to be equipped with all six. We've got some uh, additional information, I believe, on the slide behind us if you'd like to follow along this morning. Thought this might be a little bit of a help. Thanks to Karen for uh, adding that so late in the week for me. Paul's description of the whole armor of God, when, when we first jump in and we start looking at this, it almost seems to come at us backwards. We almost think, well, why are you starting there, Paul? But I think when we find, when we really start digging into this text, that he couldn't have picked a better starting place. Verse 14 again. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Number one, the whole armor of God is held up, is supported by the truth. And here, Paul uses the image of a Roman soldier's belt. Let's talk about belts a moment. I don't know how it is for some of you guys, but me, I go through about a belt a year. Sometime around that inevitable trip around the sun, my belt, it just turns to the pair of Dockers or the Levi's I happen to be wearing at the moment, and it says, guys, I give up. Just go on ahead without me. And when that long, cheap piece of leather band gives out on me, it's back to Walmart for a new, long, cheap piece of leather band. Now, now, don't get the wrong impression. It's not because every year I'm upgrading belt size. It's because I buy cheap belts. Or as my daughter Hannah might say, Dad, whatever you have to tell yourself. It's the truth. And speaking of the truth, all that we do, all that we say, as we go as a Christian, as a soldier in the Lord's army, must be fit by the truth. Paul starts with the truth, the belt of truth. Perhaps Paul calls it the belt of truth because it's only through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6, that we can overpower the schemes of the devil. So are we being supported by the belt of truth in all that we do. And by the way, the belt of a Roman soldier at the time of Paul's writing wasn't a once a year Walmart cheapie. The whole armor of God isn't held up by a, a simple strap. As one commentator notes, a soldier's belt was a thick, heavy leather and metal band. The belt didn't just act as a support for the armor, it held the soldier's sword and other weapons. You know, today we, we might carry other tools. We might carry a, a cell phone you see on our belts. Here, the belt of truth of spiritual armor holds the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the word of God, John 17, 17, the truth. Let's take note of something here. We are not a people armed or supported or carried by exaggerations, little white lies. Did you know statistically, and this is interesting, 60% or over half of all adults can't have a 10-minute conversation without lying at least once? Isn't that sad? But a Christian must walk and talk in the truth. Beyond this, we must also build our faith upon the truth so that we are not Ephesians 4, 14, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, as the Bible says. This will happen without the belt of truth supporting, tying together everything we do. This can happen in the church. This can, have you seen it? Have you ever met someone? Have you ever met someone, for example, who says they believe in God, they believe in the gift of grace, and yet you know, it seems like they bounce around churches, denominations every eight weeks, and they become so confused by so many different teachings that they're not even sure what they believe anymore, and you can't figure it out when you talk to them either. The truth makes or breaks spiritual warfare. It ties everything together. It prepares us, it supports us, it protects us against the father of lies. John 8, 44. Belt of truth. That's why Paul starts there. We're going to move on. Second tool. Second tool within the whole armor of God. Paul continues in verse 14. Again, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Then he continues. And having put on the breastplate of of righteousness. Okay, this breastplate of righteousness, what's it for? As one commentator says, a typical armed soldier in Paul's day wore a breastplate made of bronze or chainmail. Wow. It covered the vital organs, namely the heart. It was fitted with loops or buckles that attached it to the belt. To the belt. The belt of truth. So if the belt wasn't tight, if the belt wasn't right, the breastplate itself would fall right off when the soldier went into battle. Interesting. Again, we started with the belt of truth and worked backwards. So the breastplate of righteousness held on by the truth, given to us by God himself to protect us from the schemes of the devil. Where is the devil trying to strike us? Right where it hurts. Right in the heart. If you've ever had your heart broken by an individual, if you've ever left your heart uh, exposed, if you've ever lived in this world longer than maybe two or three years, you're likely to have had your heart broken by someone, right? And the only way to keep our hearts protected from the schemes of the devil is by wearing the breastplate of righteousness given to us by Jesus on the cross. Let's not... Forget this part. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our righteousness comes where? Jesus. Have you ever noticed how typically our, our, our Christian friends, not, not always, and we talked about this last week, but often it seems like our, our Christian friends uh, seem to handle the down and out of this world better than our non-Christian friends. We've been fitted with the breastplate 
of righteousness for battle. It's a heart protector. It's made of Christ's righteousness, and it's connected to his truth. It comes from him. Let's not make the mistake that we want to make. Let's not go down the wrong path. Our righteousness doesn't come from us. It does not come from us. But too often, brothers and sisters, we're not fit for daily battle in the righteousness and truth of Jesus Christ, are we? I think sometimes we, we'd like to think we are. Too often, I, I know I can say I've been guilty of it before, depending on my righteousness, depending on what I've done. Uh, the, the, all the great things I did last week, helping that guy out, helping that elderly neighbor out at, last week, uh, always being present at Sunday school, worship weekly, uh, always volunteering uh, yearly for church camp, not missing, missing a beat. Do we do this? Do we try to go into spiritual battle on me, 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 me? My righteousness, what I do. I've served on the church board 15 years, and so did my daddy, and so did his daddy before him. My righteousness. I, I have the perfect married with grandchildren unit close to home with kids that have never so much as uttered a swear word since birth and still call me sir. My righteousness. My righteousness I too often try to hang uh, the truth on as I go into spiritual warfare. How good is it to try to protect my heart using a pile of filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6. It's actually more explicit than that, but we don't translate it that way in our Bibles. And these are all admirable strengths to bear. But friends, if we go into spiritual warfare in our own strength, thinking it's about us, thinking it's about what I've done, we'll be worn down to exhaustion in no time. We'll say, the heck with this, eventually. But check this out. I mentioned last week that as Christians, we're given the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit. We literally have God within us. God within us. You and me. Wow. Why? I don't know. Why would he bother? But we literally have God within us. By remembering his truth, by remembering his righteousness, we can withstand, we can hold firm. Verse 13, against Satan. Let's not forget the source. Remembering this difference in our day-to-day -day lives is going to make all the difference because Satan is going to try to woo our heart. He's going for the heart. He's saying, hey, you're doing just fine on your own. You're doing great. You don't need any help from on high. He's going to fight this way. He's been doing that for a very long time. It's up to us to stand firm, not in self-righteousness, but within the breastplate of Christ's righteousness. I've got to be honest with you this morning before we move forward. I don't have any personal stories that I can share about wearing breastplates. <laughs> Who said sure? But before knowing Jesus, I could tell you all about having an unrighteous heart. We don't have to look very far in the Bible to see, to see some names, to see some places. Sodom and Gomorrah, those were a couple places that could certainly tell you all about unrighteous hearts. That's where we end up. Unless we have the breastplate of righteousness. Protect your hearts, my friends. Protect your hearts with what comes from Christ and remember what he does through you. Well, Paul continues on here in verse 15. Let's move on also. The third tool 
in God's armor. Read this with me again. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And again, let's stop there. I actually found an illustration. Uh, I was looking for some coloring pages this week, which we passed on to our kids with the whole armor of God. Uh, but as I was looking, I found an illustration uh, for children this week, which referred to our battle footwear as sandals of peace. Sandals of peace. But before you start thinking, I mean, am I supposed to go buy some hippie shoes? I mean, Birkenstocks? What are we talking about here? We're talking about spiritual warfare here. So although I am the proud owner of a pair of Birkenstocks purchased in 1997 and they still travel well. We can talk about that some other time. But what does it mean to wear the readiness given by the gospel of peace upon your feet? Well, perhaps, brothers and sisters... It means truly getting serious about passing the gospel to others. The readiness given by the gospel of peace. Perhaps, fellow Christians, it means letting the gospel be our transportation wherever we go. Think about it. Do you think we would be more equipped for spiritual warfare if our reason for being where we are, wherever our feet have carried us, is evangelism? If we were always on a mission if we're always intentional for where we were, for Jesus. In the 1980s, uh, perhaps you remember this duo, uh, comedians Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi as the Blues Brothers. The Blues Brothers had a very specific catchphrase that, that they, they would utter regarding their being able to outwit the police on their trail time and time again. Do you remember this catchphrase? Uh, those of you, if you ever saw the skit, saw their movie, what, what was their phrase? We're on a mission from God. Those who walk in a spiritual battle every day as Christians, we're on a mission from God. Scripturally. We're like the real Blues Brothers, except we don't have to dance. I'm glad for that one. It's called the Great Commission. It's found in Matthew 28. Uh, and I'm just curious, how are we doing on carrying it out? Spreading the gospel message, letting us carry us wherever we go, wherever our feet can take us on earth. Or do we often get sidetracked from carrying out our mission from God. We used to hear a lot about wearing sensible shoes, but how are those gospel runners fitting us today? John Piper writes, virtually every earnest Christian lacks contentment with his effectiveness in personal evangelism. So don't feel too bad. Piper goes on to tell the story of James Usher. We spelled it out there for you. Uh, Usher was a preacher in the early 1600s. Wearing the readiness of the gospel of peace, Usher, uh, quote, preached for 55 years. 55 years preaching the gospel. Story goes, quote, the very day that Usher took ill with his last sickness, his terminal, he got up from his writing and he went out to visit a sick woman to speak with her earnestly about Jesus, about the hope of heaven. But when Usher came to his deathbed, the last words he spoke at exactly 1 p.m. on March 21st, 1656 were these, Lord, forgive me my sins of omission, or forgive me for failing to carry the gospel as shoes for my feet. John Piper continues, Here was a here's a man that to everyone else was without fail in being useful for ministry. 
and blessed by God. And in his dying moment, he felt he'd failed in fitting himself with the readiness for the gospel. The question stands, do you think we have a much better chance at standing up against attacks? If we're constantly running toward, constantly standing on something worth fighting for. On solid rock. I'm not all called to vocational ministry like James Usher. Please don't misunderstand me this morning. But we are all called to daily ministry. We're on a mission from God. Taking up the whole armor of God includes directing our feet toward evangelism to others. Are we always in step with this faith? so that we may share it. This gospel of peace is a tool that's intended to fit each one of us. One size fits all. And this is on the battlefield until the fight is over. And by the way, I find this interesting. Uh, 1 Peter 3.15 included it here in the notes. Paul says we're carried along by the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Don't forget that last part. Don't forget that last part, the gospel of peace. Notice Paul doesn't say the readiness given by the gospel of hostility. He says peace. What'd they do with that during the Crusades? You know what? We're to respond in spiritual warfare peacefully. And, and I, know, I know we're tempted to, to carry a big enough Bible with us on the battlefield so we can clock other people on the head with it as hard as possible disagree with us theologically. Just look at social media for a few minutes. But that's not what these Bibles, I was going to hold up a Bible, but all I have is hymnals. Pretend this is a Bible, the belt of truth. That's not what our Bibles are for, my friends. That's not what our Bibles are for. 1 Peter 3.15. What is 1 Peter 3.15? Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Don't forget gospel of peace. We're being carried along by that gospel. Well, Paul has described, we've gone through uh, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and, and now the shoes, which are the readiness given by the gospel of peace. What's number four? Number four in our God-given armor. And let's see what's behind door number four. Read all of verse 16 with me again this morning. Uh, Paul says this, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts. Of the evil one. It's interesting, isn't it? With which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And at this point, it's important to note two implications within the text. Number one, number one, spiritual warfare calls for defensive tactics. Defensive tactics. And this perhaps explains how we can fight the good fight so peacefully. Look at Paul's language again in the text with me. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Faith in what? Faith that the victory over our circumstances is already the Lord's. Faith in that victory, the shield of faith. As one commentator notes in the book of Revelation, Satan's final defeat in chapter 20. It doesn't come at the hand of the saints. It comes from the hand of God. And so once again, our place in spiritual warfare is to stand firm, to take cover under the shield of faith given to us by God. You know, if you remember, the Lord even delivered Goliath unto David in 1 Samuel 17, 47, quote, not with sword and spear. The Bible says giving or delivering into the hand of God's people. Don't you think it took more than just a, you know, a rock to take down this, uh, this Philistine? the hand of God. 
And so our weapons aren't for the offense. They're for the defensive tactic. And okay, the second implication from our text has to do with these flaming darts. That's a pretty wild verse if we think about it. These flaming darts which God says Satan is going to be firing relentlessly at us on the attack. You see, we can't let our guard down. This is going to be constant. God's word said it says it's going to continue. So we can't let our guard down. Satan, who knows our sins, he knows what we've done. He's the one who convinced us to sin in the first place. In this life, he will continue to accuse us of these. He'll continue to be the accuser. Satan will continue to assault us. He will continue to shoot flaming darts at us. In fact, that's exactly what the name Satan means, the accuser. But when that devil... When Satan, the accuser, when he comes to shoot flaming darts of sins of your past or flaming darts of temptation at you, remember that you're presently holding on to the shield of protection in the Lord and you're not letting go till kingdom come. You're pushing back on the defensive by reminding Satan of his future defeat. Reminding Satan that the victory for your soul is already the Lord's, therefore extinguishing any flaming darts that could possibly come your way. Satan can't win. He's wasting his time with you. In fact, he's already wasted eternity on you because you're protected by the shield of faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ beat the heat for you on the cross of Calvary a long time ago. And by the way, when we, when we picture this shield of faith, we're not talking about cheap prop weapons. That's what I always picture in my mind with a shield. You know, this, this isn't a, a Mel Brooks movie. I'm fighting with cardboard. Nothing like that. <laughs> Paul is referring to a, a Roman soldier's shield, probably what they called uh, scutum, S-C-U-T-U-M. I spelled it out there. Uh, yeah, okay, that's the plural with an S. As one author explains, a scutum was a shield the size of a door. It would cover the warrior entirely. And of course, this shield was for the defensive, but it could also be used to literally push back an opponent. Had some weight to it. Here's where this explanation gets really cool when we think about our lives today in the church. This author continues, when fighting together, a group of soldiers could position their shields to form an enclosure around themselves called a tortoise. He continues, a tortoise was especially helpful to protect against arrows launched from city walls. Shields often made of wood and then covered in hide when wet could extinguish flaming arrows. Now just think about this. Just imagine, because this is really cool imagery. Let's, see, let's imagine what happens, brothers and sisters, when a group of fighting soldiers called Christians, what we can do in a family unit, what we can do in a congregational unit, what we can do in a community, when we bear the shields of faith, traveling with the readiness of the gospel, wearing the breastplate of Christ's righteousness, supported by the belt of truth. Imagine what we can do when we travel into battle together, we're going to find it even easier to travel onward, Christian soldiers, standing firm against the devil side by side. That's pretty cool imagery if we stop and think about it this morning. There are two more weapons this morning. Two more weapons that, that must be mentioned as a part of our godly armor. And they're found in verse 17. 
Read that again with me, verse 17, and then we'll continue on um, to 5 and 6. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay, last week, we mentioned how Christ himself relied on the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Where? In the desert. Do you remember this account? To defend himself against the devil in Matthew chapter 4. Today, this is really cool, with the finished work of Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross, covering us from above, and this is our helmet, 1 John 4.10. This is our helmet. Along with the inspired scripture hanging on our belts, we have the exact same line of defense as our Savior before us. The exact same line of defense. My friends, may we find that even if we never, as that old song goes, march in the infantry or ride in the cavalry or shoot the artillery, even if we never fly over the enemy, we're in the Lord's army, standing firmly just like Christ. Verse 13. God has given us these tools for spiritual warfare, and he's shown us how to use them. But here's the thing. What happens if we we try to go into spiritual battle uh, missing part of the armor? What happens if we uh, go into battle uh, forgetting our sword, for example? We we just left it at home. We didn't need it that day. What happens if we fail to spend time in God's word so that it's there when we need it? Well, unfortunately, we're going to find that without the whole armor of God, we'll be scrambling. We'll be unable to defend ourselves. Uh, we're not going to do any good hanging out in a, in a place marked with a sign that says scripture-free zone. We'll be like uh, Jeff and Bruce. The story is told of two guys, two hunting buddies called uh, Jeff and Bruce. And they were out one day. They saw a large goose fly by. And the story goes, as, as Bruce grabbed his gun to shoot, Jeff said to him, Don't waste your time. That rifle's not loaded. I can't wait, said Bruce. If I take the time to load, the bird will be gone. If I take the time to load, the bird will be gone. It's ridiculous. But this is the same logic we too often use in the church, isn't it? I'll wait to arm myself against the devil when he attacks. I don't need time with the Lord when things are good. When things are good, why bother? We don't say that. But hands in the air, if you feel like you spend enough time reading your Bible every day, you just couldn't do any more. You know it like the back of your hand, uh, back and front, and you just couldn't be benefited by, by, reading it, by reading it anymore. By failing to prepare for warfare, we prepare to fail. And what's sad is we have every advantage to stand up to our enemy. God has given us the advantage. And that's not always been the case in warfare. One author writes about a little bit, makes a comparison here with uh, some of the events that happened, um, the terrible uh, tragedies that happened around the time of the Third Reich. One author writes, Adolf Hitler had an appetite for power. He had a conquest for territory. And as his army began to march across Europe, in many cases, the fight could hardly even be called a battle. The uh, the German arm advanced with its tanks, with its technology. In some of the underdeveloped nations, their armies attempted to resist Hitler's aggression. 
They would fight back with whatever they could lay their hands upon. For some people, it was spears. For some people, it was rocks. For many, there was no real contest with Hitler, and they were overcome quickly. That's too bad. And my friends, I hate to say this, but with some Christians, there's no real contest with Satan either. And we're overcome as well. We've been given six tools. We've been given six tools. We've been told how to train for the very purpose of withstanding in the evil day, our text says. But when that urgency, when we don't have that urgency to spread the gospel, if that's not where we're walking, when the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, when these aren't the words that we're talking, how can we expect to have a chance in this fight? Well, I'll get on the defense when I have to, we say. I'll be ready, ready for battle on Sunday mornings, and the rest of the week I'll sit back and wait to be called to active duty. But that's not how spiritual warfare works. If we're not busy training for battle, if we're not pouring over the word, if we're not bathing our decisions in prayer, you notice how Paul goes on in verse 18 to tell us what? Our time spent in the Lord's service should be spent in prayer. Prayer for the battle, prayer for one another. If we're not standing up for our Savior during the calm, how long do we expect we'll last fighting a war at its ugliest? I challenge you challenge you, if, if any part of this whole armor of God illustration, if any of it seems like a foreign concept to you, take this illustration home, take this text home, study it, learn it, pray on it, live it. If you do, my friend, it will truly make a difference in your life when the enemy draws in. Well, God has given us the means. God has given us the means to counter uh, the acts of Satan in our homes and family units. And we'll talk more about that uh, next Sunday, June 17. June 17, the message is entitled, On the Home Front. And if you're here, and, and, and basically uh, anybody that's here, if you're a mom, you're a dad, uh, you're, a, you're a kid, you're a, you're a grown child, if you're a grandma, if you're a grandpa, if you're an aunt, if you're any one of these... You won't want to miss this message. Um, we're going to learn how to use these tools, get into some specific examples with this belt of truth and this breastplate of righteousness, these shoes of readiness, and so on. Uh, places like the kitchen table, places like uh, in the Ford Flex, or whatever you have. You know, it was convenient for me. But we'll dig in next Sunday. We'll talk about uh, how you can use these tools around these places it might be a little bit of an uncomfortable time, but we'll, we'll go through this together, standing up in spiritual warfare on the home front. And maybe, maybe it's not in those family dynamics. Maybe the spiritual battle doesn't rage on quite fiercely in your heart uh, in this environment. Maybe it's in the church pew where you sit. Maybe it's with a brother or sister from your congregation or a, a neighboring congregation or what have you. On June 24th, uh, we're going to go on and talk all about spiritual warfare in our churches in our churches. Uh, finally, the series will end. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit on uh, demonology, digging into the books of Acts. The books of Acts, Colossians, July 1st. Uh, the message will be entitled Behind Enemy Lines. Behind Enemy Lines. We'll wrap things up on July 1st. Let me pro uh, promise you, you won't want to miss any part of this five-part series. Uh, did you make a commitment last week? Did you make a commitment last week to come back for all of it? I hope you did. If you didn't, will you make that commitment today for you, for your family, for your workplace, for everywhere you go? Um, this is spiritual warfare. It involves you and me, everyone in this room, and we're all in it 
together. See you for part three. Would you pray with me? Lord, I just pray this morning that we remember this powerful imagery. Lord, ultimately all that we do and all that we say, Lord, we have two options for all of it. We can proceed on with the very best, Lord. We can proceed on with your word, living in the way that your word says, responding to others as you have told us, Lord. Not just because it's, it's the most practical or the most pragmatic, or because what you say is a good idea, but because you are holy, Lord, and because you have called us as well. God, I, I pray that as the battle rages on for each one of us, Lord, I call upon you to meet us where we are, to remind us of your word. Lord, I ask that, the, that we would be spurred on by your spirit. Lord, help us to remember that this life is hard. Getting through some days is very difficult, but Lord, we don't face this world alone. And we don't face this world without a hope. Lord, we know that all things are under your control. Help us, Lord, to remember wherever we're being attacked, whether it's physically, whether it's with a, a physical battle or something going on in our homes, with, with family dynamics, a situation at work, a situation with a grandchild, wherever, Lord, the, the battle is raging for us right now. Lord, help us to look to you. Lord, you have a love for us that is greater than anything we can understand. And Lord, we pale uh, in imitation to your love. But we know, Lord, that in your love and your grace and your mercy, everything, everything will work out. Help us to bring it all to you. Every hurt, every hang-up, everywhere we suffer. And help us to turn these areas of our lives over to you, Lord, so that we may draw in closer and become the people you've called us to be. I thank you for your word. I thank you for these tools. Help us to train, Lord, when things are calm so that when the battle is fiercest, we'll be able to stand firm against the devil and his schemes. It is in the name, precious name of Jesus Christ. I ask these things. Amen. This morning, if you haven't taken on those tools, received your... your uh, your call to battle and taking up that battle cry which is victory in Jesus we invite you to come forward it all begins at Pentecost repent and be baptized brothers and sisters a new life begins where the victory is already in the hands of almighty God for you personally 
because of his love, grace, and mercy. If you have a public decision that you'd like to make, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing Word of God Speak. This week, I challenge you to take these words home, this Word of God. Let it speak to your hearts. The Spirit and the Word, let, let your life be changed by Jesus. He's the only one that can do it and do it right. And you have the promise that you have the victory in him in the end. If you have a public decision to make, would you come forward as we stand and sing? And Brother Gerald comes forward.